going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, good afternoon. I'm Jody Hughes in for Joe Today. Uh, in just a few minutes, we'll check in with Bidco. There's a big announcement coming up tomorrow. I know a lot of folks are feeling frustrated because they're looking for some more information. They want to have as many facts as they can before they go ahead and uh, cast their vote. And I know that Joe has also been taking a look at some of the key aspects of the bid, including security, uh, taking a look at uh, accessibility. They spoke about this on uh, the morning show with Gordon, Sue, and also infrastructure. Well, today we're going to take a quick peek at uh, the facilities that are involved uh, in this proposal, what it could mean for the city of Calgary. So we will be having that conversation. There's a Canadian Forces Film Festival coming in uh, Fort McLeod. So we'll be getting a little bit of information about that, uh, speaking with um, uh, folks that are tied to the film festival in Fort McLeod. I really want to have this discussion. There's there's a conversation that I think it needs to be had about naturopath uh, and just some of the treatments. The story was uh, released today on Global News about a treatment that was given to a four-year-old boy, a naturopath in BC, uh, apparently has lost her license because the parents of this little boy uh, came in for some help and said that he was growling and he was hiding under chairs and tables and they felt that he just wasn't acting uh, the way that they would hope their four-year-old would act. And so in their conversation, uh, the naturopath uh, mentioned to the parents or asked the parents, has your child ever been bitten by a dog before? The answer, according to the story, is yes, when he was two. So the naturopath came up with a method of trying to treat this by giving the boy... uh, the saliva of a rabid dog. And I'm dying to have this conversation uh, coming up just after uh, five o'clock today, just getting into what kinds of alternative treatments have you heard of that you uh, believe in that other people have maybe fought you on or what ones uh, do you hear of that you think are absolutely just out there? I know it can be a sensitive subject, but uh, let's have that conversation and I want to welcome to the program now Susan Veer. She's the Vice President of Marketing and Communication for Bidco. Susan, fitting us in before she gets into a big town hall uh, discussion. And I really appreciate your time today, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jody, anytime. Now, I mentioned just off the top of the show, we were. I wanted to take a look at the facilities. I think as people are deciding which way they want to go on on uh, the vote for the Olympics, uh, or should we continue with pursuing the bid, uh, mm-hmm. some people are not necessarily totally informed about what uh, you know what is out there, and, and you know we're hearing that there will be some facility improvements. We're hearing that we will get to some new buildings. I know you guys have a big announcement coming up. We do, yeah, yeah. I mean, so so the fact that you and I are talking today is really timely because um, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, uh, the big corporation is actually going to be describing for citizens of Calgary what do these improvements mean. So, you know, we've been talking quite publicly for the last six weeks about 11 facilities being modernized, 
and two facilities being added. But you know, we really haven't had the discussion around, well, what does modernization look like? So mm-hmm. what does it mean for McMahon? What does it mean for other um, Olympic venues here in the city? What does modernization mean? So tomorrow morning, at, in fact, at McMahon Stadium, in the, uh, the, the Konica Minolta Club room, we're going to be doing a 9 o'clock press conference that talks about those, those uh, upgrades. Now, speaking a little bit about numbers, and I know you can't get into the specifics on uh, details for tomorrow, but no. it has already been uh, released about the Urban Development Program, and you guys have this uh, listed that uh, there is a chunk earmarked for new facilities and a chunk of money earmarked for improvements or upgrades. Yep, uh, it's true. I mean, we've, we have been very public about describing the, the capital budget, which is $2.85 billion dollars and we talked about how that would be funded by levels of um, government and then we even went so far within our information to talk about well what do those new venues cost and what do those renewed and modernized venue upgrades look like so yeah we've we've described that the new venues and when i say new venues we've always been talking about you know those being a field house, which for the games, you're not, you know, it'll be, uh, you know, a, a surface of ice that we have uh, skating on, ice uh, figure skating, but it converts to field house post the games. And, um, and we also talked about a 5,000 seat arena being required as well. And that, those new venues cost about $430 million. And then when you talk about the modernization of all of the, uh, the 11 facilities that currently exist here and in, in the mountain areas, that's about another $530 million. So, so it's all within the $2.8 billion budget, but it does break down the way I just described. Now, we have heard about um, the potential for, say, ski jumping going to Whistler, and none of that money would be earmarked for facilities that are not here, would it? Um, there's a small amount of money earmarked for Whistler. It's, bare, it's negligible. It's about $5 million of, of, of that facility, of the um, venue budget that would um, be required for Whistler. But it's negligible when, I, when you add up those two numbers. That's $960 million of capital. Are you able to speak, and I don't want to take away from your announcement, and this will be my last question. I know you have to go. But are you able to speak to, uh, would some of that money be going to, say, Canmore to help with some of the facilities there, or is it... Uh, is that something we can't talk about yet? Well, no, we should be talking about that, right? Because these are not, these are Calgary's and Canmore games. Like, this is Calgary's Southern Alberta games. And so, yeah, some of those, you know, Nikiska needs some improvements. There's some improvements for uh, venues in, uh, in Canmore. So, yeah, like these are the legacy venues that have existed. We all use them. I'm sure if you were to poll your listening audience, many people would put up their hand having said that they've been to these venues before. And so it's the same venues they just need a little bit of uh, you know tender loving care perfect i look forward to hearing more details tomorrow susan thank you so much for your time today we really appreciate it yeah we're looking forward to having this conversation tomorrow okay thanks Thanks. Susan. good (laughs) luck bye We know Remembrance Day is coming up on Sunday and uh, there's an event beginning tomorrow in Fort McLeod, a film festival highlighting the Canadian experience in both world wars. I'd like to welcome to the program Dr. Stéphane Gouvermont. He's a war historian. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Bonjour. 
Tell us a little bit about what is happening in Fort McLeod for folks who've never been to this film festival. What will be happening? It's the ninth annual, so uh, this obviously is something you guys have done before. Yeah, we've been running this. I've been doing it for nine years. We want to honor the Canadian Armed Forces veterans and especially survivors of World War II and the Korean War and current wars. So we show movies, but as an historian, I give a presentation before each movie that will last 40 minutes or 45 minutes to put people in the context, to give the environment the details about what was going on, and then it makes their watching experience better. But on the Saturday afternoon, every year, we bring veterans. I sit with them on the podium, and I ask them to tell us about the war, and they share their stories with us, and it gives a chance for the public to meet World War II veterans and to talk to them and to hear their stories. And that's the main goal. That's how we honor them every year. And that's something that uh, really, the the challenge of that can't be understated. I still remember uh, being a little girl and asking my grandfather to speak to me about the war and all he could do is just cry. He couldn't even explain anything to me because it was that uh, difficult to talk about. It's true and there were some years where some veterans cried or were emotional but most of the veterans are my friends. I know them. I've worked with them in the past because that's what I do for a living and they know me so they're comfortable and there's absolutely no pressure and no stress and they actually love to share their stories when they know there's an entire audience of 100 or 200 people who actually want to hear them who care and we have a question and answer period afterwards and that's also very fun and usually afterwards they are swarmed by people and they spend half an hour 20 minutes just walking out the aisle and greeting people who want to talk to them more so this is the goal because they'll be gone it's very difficult now this is my ninth year probably next year will be the last time where i will be able to bring 93 98 year old 95 year olds there it's a challenge and we have to do it before they all disappear Mm-hmm. We've been talking about that for a few years now, and it's, it's. I mean, it's so cliche to say that so much has changed in their lifetime, but I have to think that uh, as they're sitting on that stage and talking to people, that even every year and every audience would bring a different flavor and a different focus to the conversation. Yes, I change teams every year. This year, it's the Battle of the Atlantic, so I'm bringing Tony Lefebvre, who was an able seaman gunner. He was a 19-year-old kid on a Fairmile, a small motor torpedo boat. And then I also bring Captain Bill Wilson, who was on a destroyer in the Atlantic. So every year, there's a team, and I try to find veterans for every team each year. And we'll have to move forward with current Afghanistan veterans in the future years with the guys who serve in peacekeeping missions when these World War II and Korean War veterans will all be gone. Well, Doctor, this sounds like uh, it's so important. And thank you so much for uh, making sure that this happens and this information gets shared with so many people. Well, thank you. And we start Friday night and we run all the way till Sunday afternoon. So three movies on Saturday, one on Friday night and one on Sunday afternoon. And of course, that discussion on Saturday. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank you. It's the ninth annual Canadian Forces Memorial Film Festival taking place at the Empress Theatre in Fort McLeod. I have been dying to have this discussion all day. Our producer Justin has been sitting beside me saying, just watching as I'm, please, let's talk about this. I want to bring to the program Dr. Michael Reeder, Professor of Pediatric Pharmacology, Chair and Chief of the Department of Pediatrics at Western University. Good afternoon, Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us. 
But after, actually, I'm not chair chief anymore. Oh. I'm, uh, I was a chair chief. I'm just <laughs> back to being a humble, a humble researcher. Well, in my books, you're still a chair chief. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Dr. Let's talk about this story in BC. A naturopath lost her license for administering rabid dog saliva to a four-year-old boy. Uh, the parents had gone in and said, you know, our little boy just is, he's growling. He's going under tables. He's aggressive. Uh you know, help us. And this was the solution. And, and there's, uh, there's a blog actually that she wrote that uh, we were managing, we managed to dig up that gets into some of it. And she explains how she gave this little boy a capsule and instantly uh, he smiled at her within a minute or two of giving him the remedy. Jonah smiled at me very broadly and beautifully as if all the lights had just gone on. So talk to me about this kind of uh, treatment plan uh, for children. Well, I mean, this, this builds on the naturopathic idea, the homeopathic idea that if you give a little bit of something, it gets away from the harmful effects of more of something. It, it's, um, it's been around a long time. I mean, these theories were originally uh, developed in Germany, you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, people use it. Uh, people are interested in it, but there's zero basis for its validity. Is this uh, a- you know, when I was uh, the chair of the Canadian Pediatric Society Drug Therapy Committee, we looked at these, these nozodes or homeopathic, I guess they, I, would, I shudder to use the word vaccine, but it's alternates to vaccines. Mm-hmm. There's really no evidence that they work. I mean, the theory is you dilute it down, but the problem is, you know, if you look at the actual math, it's diluted down so much there's nothing there. And also there's no, you know, there's no real scientific basis or biological basis to think it's going to work. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, just because you glamorizing magic doesn't make magic real. Um, and I think that people like to think that it's natural and, and, and there's some truth to it. And I know that people, there is a community of people who really do like the all-natural stuff. But the reality is, is that there's no evidence that works. And using it has been associated with, in, in many cases, harm. And how is it that this is allowed in Canada? I know that there are different, uh, there's certain restrictions on some of the uh, treatments that we give. I read that that was a Health Canada approved treatment. It is. If you look it up on the Health Canada website... It, you know, there's a health counter approval for it, and it said it's made from rabid dog serum. Wow. And, you know, I, it, strains, I mean, uh, you know it strains your credibility to imagine that health counter would license such a thing, but uh, there's a, you know, health counter has a way of, of, of licensing naturopathic and homeopathic products that is different than regular medicines. So regular medicines have to go through this very rigorous pa- uh, process, process. They're assessed. You have to show they work. You have to show they're safe. It takes hundreds of millions of dollars. It takes years and years to get them on the market. That's not true for homeopathic medicines. I mean, there was, there was a faint famous case of someone who made up a medicine, came up with three pages of a homeopathic textbook and got it listed in Health Canada's database. Uh, it's a different way of licensing things. I think part of it is, is, it, is that the people who are you know, evangelical about this are really evangelical, and Health Canada is afraid of taking them on, I think. Um, and, I mean, Health Canada at least has a way of regulating them. In many places in the world are not regulated at all. Wow. You can sell them however you want because the, the agencies in those countries don't even try to regulate them. I mean, health Canada, it's good that it's regulated, but I think they should re- if you're going to regulate it, you should regulate it. Well, it seems logical to me you'd have uh, even standards across the board. Doctor, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, and a, a pleasure to talk to you. You as well. Oh, in case you didn't know, uh, today happens to be 
Guinness World Records Day. And uh, I would love to welcome to the program uh, a lady who obviously has a lot of energy. Uh, Lynn Salvo recently just biked all the way across Canada. And she has also biked uh, all the way across the United States uh, more than once. But uh, the most recent time made her the oldest female to bike across the U.S., the oldest female to bike across Canada. So a two-time world record holder. And Lynn, I have to ask you, have you always been active? No, I haven't. I was very active as a teenager and into college. But then when I was raising my kids through that period of life, I was pretty sluggish, um, except for chasing my kids around. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when I was about to hit 50, I saw that number looming and I was determined that 50 was not the end of my life. So I started a business. I started a PhD and I started running. Oh my gosh. So within, (laughs) within two years, I had run my first marathon and I qualified for the Boston Marathon by a mere 3.6 seconds. Oh, wow. And the Boston Marathon. (laughs) Wow. But in the process of doing that, I was starting to have running injuries. So my coaches suggested cross training. So I started cycling and then I started swimming and I started doing triathlon. So I did those for a few years. And then um, then I kind of blew out my shoulders. So all that was left was cycling. And I love cycling. So, <laughs> so I rode my first time across the U.S. in the uh, fall of 2015. Um, when I pondered doing that, I was wondering if there might, if it might be a Guinness World Record because I didn't know anybody my age or older who had done it. So I started inquiring. I heard about halfway through that trip that if I would do it again the next year, then I could set a record. Can I just say, I think it's not just about somebody your age doing that. I think most people couldn't even say they've cycled that much in their entire lifetime. That's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I, I'm out on the bike a lot. I haven't been for since I finished Canada. I've been a little sluggish again, doing oh, sure. records, <laughs> you know, getting records off to Guinness. And um, I made a little documentary that took a lot of time sitting at the computer, but I'm going to do a, a trip next week, a little trip. What do you do while you're cycling to keep your mind going? Or do you just like quiet? Um, I like, I really love the quiet. It's the one place I really, really relax. And But the other thing is, is that I keep a blog when I'm riding. Mm. So all of my long journeys, I've kept blogs. Um, I've, kept, I've written blogs and it gives me a wonderful focus. I always set out in the day and I say, I don't have a set agenda what's going to be in the blog. So I let it evolve through the day, through what happens during the day. And it's really fun that way. So I get to stay in the moment. It's amazing. Lynn, you are an inspiration. Thank you so much for talking to us. And congratulations on being a two-time Guinness World Record holder. Thank you. Can I add one other thing? Yes. Um, I cycled for peace. That was the theme of my 2018 ride across Canada. And my ride supported the Canadian Friends Service Committee. So if anyone happens to be inspired to donate to them, I'd be extremely grateful. So not only are you amazing, but you're also a very kind soul. Thank you. Thank (laughs) Thank you, Jody. Thanks, Wonderful talking with you. You too. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary Today.